Well, hey, if this is your first time with us, thanks for being here. My name is Mike. I am the lead pastor here at MCC, uh, and I know that we've got folks joining us online, so thank you for joining us there. And a special shout out to Ty and Amy and Amber, who are joining us. My understanding is you're in Colorado Springs. This, you just arrived there this morning. And uh, Ty, and Hillis, Ty and Amy, just so you know, they join us every week online as they travel the United States. And so we're just really, everyone say hi. There we go. All right. Hey, we are in a series. Uh, by the way, that, I put myself out on the limb. Thank you for, you know, helping me with that. Uh, we're in a series called Take a Stand, and we are spending Sunday mornings talking about how to take a stand, uh, because that's just as important as what we're standing on. On Wednesday nights now, we're following, so this Wednesday night, if you want to join us, we are talking about the issues that we're taking a stand on. But on Sunday mornings, we want to make sure, because it's just as important, I think maybe more, how we go about taking a stand uh, as what we stand on. So with that in mind, a national survey asked a 1,000 self-proclaimed Christians what faith questions they would feel most uncomfortable being asked by a friend or colleague. And I would love to take a poll this morning to find out from everybody here what faith question you would be most uncomfortable, your friend or colleague, asking you. But Mark Middleberg took those questions, chose the top 10 uncomfortable questions, and wrote a book called Questions Christians uh, Hope No One Asks. And one of those is, why are Christians so judgmental? I don't know if you've ever heard that or not, or if someone has said that to you, or you heard someone talking uh, about that. A study from the Barna Research Group showed that 87% of young people outside the church between the ages of 18 and 35, they say that the term judgmental accurately describes present-day Christianity. Now, is that accurate? Of course it's not. In many cases, it's people who have, they've never met anyone inside the church. They don't know. They're going off what they've heard, uh, and they're unfairly judging Christians, which is very interesting in my mind, uh, that, and they, that they don't even really know. But I will say this, if you and I are any indication, we know that it's at least sometimes true. Yes, I would think that's fair to say as well. And truthfully, this has always been a problem within the church. When it comes to taking a stand, may I suggest that part of the answer to the problem uh, is for us is to make sure that before we take a stand, we take a look in the mirror. At least that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to start. Uh, if you've got the Version Bible app, the notes are in there as well, of the scriptures for today, as well as some points I hope that you will take home. Super important to have those. So Matthew chapter 7, this is Jesus speaking. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I've shared this before, but Matthew 7, 11, or 7, 1, excuse me, Matthew 7, verse 1, has replaced John 3, 16 as the most often quoted verse of the Bible, which I think is interesting. Uh, before we launch into what Jesus is saying, I want to make sure we clarify what he's not, because it is also one of the most taken out of context 
passages of Scripture as well. So, first of all, and these are in your notes because we'll make sure you have these, Jesus is not saying that we should not be discerning. Again, these verses are taken out of context in that direction. Matter of fact, the Bible says later in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. So we need to be aware, be careful who you are allowing to influence your life. That calls for discernment, not judgment. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, but it does call for discernment. Jesus would say a good tree produces only good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. You can tell what a tree is like by the fruit it produces. You can tell a good tree from a bad tree by the fruit it produces. This is not an agricultural lesson that he's giving us, right? He's clarifying that it's all right. In fact, it's a good thing to make proper judgments about people. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John chapter 7, just a few verses after our main text, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. The New Living Translation says it this way, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. So we want to make sure Jesus is not saying don't be discerning. He's also not suggesting that we should be morally indifferent, all right? This verse is, is swung like a baseball bat against Christians who are taking a moral stand in our culture. And we cannot avoid the responsibility of being the, the moral voice in the culture in which we live. Paul would write this to the church in Galatia, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, it's not that we don't pretend that sin exists, right? Look at verse 3 again. Who has something in their eye? Look at that verse. Everyone does. <laughs> Everyone has something in their eye. Notice Jesus doesn't say that we should ignore that our friend has something in their eye. He says there's something else we need to pay attention to before we notice that. But what Jesus is saying is that we should not be condemning. That word uh, judge comes from the Greek root word krino. It has three primary uses. One means to uh, make a decision. It can also be used in the legal sense as a judgment made by a court, but it can also be used uh, as a mean of placing yourself, means of placing yourself above someone else, making a judgment about their value and worth. And what Jesus is condemning uh, as critical and a judgmental attitude, uh, an unholy sense of moral superiority. That's what he's going after. He's saying that this condemning spirit has no place among his followers. Each of us is capable of a spirit of judgment or condemnation, even revenge, right? When someone, uh, especially when it comes to people whose behavior or lifestyle offends us. So this is in your notes. I want to make sure you had this. Scott Scrugg said, we all have a judgment trigger that sets us off. I thought that was really insightful. Maybe your trigger is a person who offends your religious convictions because someone makes different claims about who God is than you believe. Maybe your judgment triggers a person who offends your political uh, loyalties. Maybe your judgment trigger is a person who offends your moral values, people who make decisions or lifestyle choices that, that you disagree with. I read about a woman whose judgment trigger was alcohol. She was so proud of the fact that alcohol had never touched her lips. She wouldn't eat beer-battered onion rings. She wouldn't eat steak that's been cooked in wine sauce. She wouldn't even drink root beer or Pepsi if it came out of a long neck bottle. She thought all drinking was sin, period. And someone said, well, uh, 
you know, Jesus drank, right? And she said, that's the one thing I never liked about him. Uh, <laughs> all emails go to Mandy at exploremcc.com. Uh, all right, Jesus makes this clear precedent before us that our job is to not make condemning judgments against others. And do you know why this is a big deal to Jesus? Because it is a big deal to him. Part of it is when I judge other people, it hurts me. If, if we can find someone whose sin is worse than ours, if I can find someone whose sin is worse than mine, I, I might be able to dismiss my own sin struggles. I, I don't know if you've ever thought or said anything like, good night. I'm, I may struggle, but not like them. I mean, look at them. And they go to our church. Are you kidding me? He's the pastor of our church. When our judgments become a kind of moral defense mechanism to avoid dealing with sins in my own life, Jesus says it can blind me even to my own faults. Is verses 3 and 4. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Why are you worrying about the speck of sawdust in your neighbor, your friend's eye, when you have a telephone pole sticking out of your head, is what Jesus is saying. It can make us blind. You know, we have 20-20 eyesight when it comes to seeing others' faults, but we can be blind to our own shortcomings. Again, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it's not that we're not mindful of those around us, but we're painfully mindful of ourselves. But it's not just me that it hurts. When I judge other people, it hurts them too. Paul shares his struggle with sin, as we all do. By the way, you, these words may feel familiar to you when he writes, for I have the desire to do what is good, I just can't carry it out. What I want to do is the good I want to do, or, or what, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep doing. And I wonder how many people in our sphere of influence know the stench of their own life, and they know it's ruining them. It's killing them, and they are wrestling with it and desperately in need of help and getting rid of it. And, and, but in this wrestling, they're losing. And maybe, maybe they've been given the icy stare or the cold shoulder or judgmental words enough time from people like us <laughs> that now they just avoid us. In his book, the, the Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey recalls a story a friend of his told him. He works with the down and out in Chicago. He said a woman came to him, this horrible situation. She was homeless. She was, her health was failing. She didn't have enough money to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Her eyes were just, he said, worn out with tears. And she confessed that she had been renting out her daughter, who was two years old, to men who are interested in kinky sex in order to support her own drug habit. Yancey said his friend could barely tolerate listening to her story. And he said, he sat in silence not knowing what to say, and at last he asked her, have you ever thought about going to the church for help? She looked at him, she said, the church? The church? They would make me feel more awful than I already do. That's not, not that anyone would condone that behavior. But I just want to say, when people talk to us, if we're quick to judge them, 
if they see it on our face, what chance does Jesus have of reaching through our life into theirs to help them? Our judgments hurt others. And listen, if you're here this morning and somewhere down the line in your life, somebody from the church has ever said anything that made you feel less than or not loved by God, I'm sorry. It's not true. He loves you. Our judgment can do incredible damage to other people. But the primary reason Jesus says judging is wrong is because I'm not the judge. You're not either. There is a judge. Neither one of us are him. Uh, Jesus reminds us there is a real and righteous judge beyond any of us, and he has this final say on all evil, all sin, all injustice. Someone with a higher, better vantage, with a much more clear view, who helps me understand how much I need to change in my life, and that the rest of the world is best kept in his hands. So how do we do, how do we go about being intentional about not judging? Paul would write this, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which, by the way, is the heart of the gospel, right? <laughs> it's why we're here. It's the hope that we take into the world with us. So how do we live this out in real life? How do we live on mission when it comes to uh, taking a stand in the right way? So Jesus reminds me, before I take a stand, I need to look in the mirror first. Verse 3, again, reminds us, who has something in their eye? Everyone. Everyone has something in their eye. Does that sound right to you? Would you say that you have something in your eye this morning? And please don't answer out loud. Don't raise your hand. Don't say anything. But would you say you have something in your eye? More uh, appropriate, perhaps? You have a sin that you're struggling with. And quite likely, others know about it. I want to remind you of something I said a couple of weeks ago. I think it bears repeating. Some people think we Christians don't sin, but they know they do, and that creates a barrier they cannot cross. But there are others who know us that know we do sin, and when we pretend we don't, that creates a barrier they will not cross. They're not willing to cross that. So Paul would write to the church in Rome, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's about the approach that we take when we're talking to someone. It also means as we live on a mission, accountability happens with clarity in relationship. I'll never forget, we left here on a Sunday after services. We're headed down toward the mall. We're going to go get lunch. Sandy was next to me in the car. Our daughter was in the back seat. We approached the corner of 725 and 741, and there is a guy standing on the corner holding a sign that says, repent of your sins. And I hear my daughter's voice come out of the back seat saying, thanks for judging me without knowing me. Now, was the guy with the sign right? Absolutely he was. Was my daughter right? <laughs> Absolutely, she was. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, because we loved you so much, we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And stand on the street corner and yell at people. I walked beside you in life. 
Listen, I have good friends who all know they have permission to ask me about anything going on in my life. I have given them permission to do that. I have someone discipling me. I have a couple of men that I'm discipling. And we share things. Usually we confess things to each other. We already know we have a splinter in our eye. <laughs> we need help. Listen, do you think it's your good friend who is following Jesus, who has asked for your help, who's going to get bent out of shape when you talk to them about something? Maybe. Initially, maybe. But if they've asked for your help, and you've already admitted to them that you also have something in your eye, don't you think they're going to be more willing to hear you? It's called sharing life. It's called not just sharing the gospel, but sharing our love with each other, our lives with each other. And when we intentionally are living on mission, we remember that restoration is the highest priority. It should seem obvious that so obvious it doesn't need said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Listen, if you use this as a gotcha moment, your friend loses, you lose, and Jesus loses. Look at Galatians 6 one more time. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. That's how you fulfill everything Jesus was talking about. When you help someone carry their burden, you, you fulfill everything Jesus talked about. James 5.16, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, therefore confess your sins to each other, which doesn't mean just anyone. It's someone you know and you trust their heart and they know your heart uh, and they pray for you. You know them, they know you. There's no spiritual charades going on with this person. Confess your sins to them and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's how we do it. That's how this is done. Someone that we know and love. That's individually how we take a stand. As a community of faith, because we will need to take a stand as a community of faith, how do we do that? Begins with MCC being a no-condemnation community, by the way. We can't always control how we are received by the world, but we can do everything in our power to be a community that embodies the gospel, and there is no condemnation in Jesus. So a no-condemnation community is going to be marked by compassion. Paul would write this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The compassion that God has extended to you needs to be extended through you into the lives of others. I like this Chinese proverb. It's in the note in case you are, maybe this week you may need this. Do not remove a fly from your friend's forehead with a hatchet. I'm, just in case. I'm Just in case, because you never know. Uh, you might find that helpful. I want you to know, too, a no-condemnation community is marked by confession. Again, before I can help you with a speck in your eye, I have to deal with the plank that's in my own. So in the notes, please catch this. All of us are just beggars, helping other beggars find bread. All of us. That's all we are. That is an incredible song right there. <laughs> <clears throat> Nothing like the Ohio State fight song to juice up a message. Jeremy Bassett from, wait a minute, that wasn't the Ohio State fight song. <laughs> Jeremy Bassett from Oklahoma City tells about his five-year-old niece, Olivia, and her best friend, Claire. They're in the uh, nativity play at their school, and Olivia was an angel, and Claire was playing Mary. And before the show, one of the guys, one of the little boys in the play was going around and saying to everybody, I'm a shepherd. What are you? I'm a shepherd. What are you? And, and uh, 
uh, every child would respond politely, and then the, the boy came to Claire, still struggling. Her mom's helping her to get into her costume. And he said, I'm a shepherd. What are you? And Claire said, I'm, I'm Mary. Well, now the five-year-old's got a situation because he realizes he's just come face-to-face with the main character in the nativity play. So he has to justify his role, and with all the seriousness of a five-year-old you know, actor, he said, it's hard being a shepherd, you know. Claire said, yeah, but it's hard being a virgin, too. (laughs) May I humbly say, she's correct. And we're not called to judge others as if whatever they're struggling with or have struggled with and have given into is worse than what we struggle with. That's not what we're called to do. We're all beggars, all of us beggars helping other beggars find bread. So as we come to our time of communion, this is one of those reflection teachings by Jesus, and I hope you can hear this. John would write in his first letter toward the end of the New Testament, the command that Christ has given us is this, whoever loves God must love others also. So the Bible tells us if you want to know how much you love God, it's easy. How do you do it loving others? How we love others is a reflection of how we love God. Can we really accept all of us? Take a look around the room. Can we really accept that all of us has something in our eye? All of us. So we remind uh, ourselves, we remind each other every week as we remember what Jesus did on the cross to help us Remove the speck or log, whatever it is you happen to have in your eye this particular week. But the cross also reminds us that it's not just about us loving Jesus. That when we come to a time of communion, it's a cult for us to remember that we love each other as well. We're all beggars, helping other beggars find bread. Let's go to him. God, thank you. Thank you for reminding us of who you are. Thank you for reminding us of who you call us to be. We just pray as we come to this time and remember, God, that we would be mindful of our need for the cross before we ever become mindful of anyone else's need for it. So help us now, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.